welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. As a church, this summer we've been going through a series called Real Life. And we've looked at uh, what the Bible really teaches about work, about depression. Last week we heard about being single. And we're going to go through the summer, and there, there is a little card on the stand there for you to invite your friends or to make sure that you get the hearing. Also, in parallel with that, we're also doing a series on our values. Um, and our, as you know, this little card, I'm sure you're familiar with it, our vision statement to the church is loving Jesus and making him known. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by some of the values, by being Christ-centered, by being grace-filled. And today we're doing another. I know Roger's already spoken on grace admirably the other day, before he went on holiday. Uh, but we're doing grace again today because grace is such a big subject. And there's so many different ways of looking at it. So we're looking at grace today as a value of who we are. So if you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, or Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. It will come on the screen. I use the ESV, and this is the ESV version. If you prefer to follow a different version on your Bibles or on your tablets, please do so. If not, read along with me. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 10. This is Paul writing to the church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... We can, your word is a rock to our feet. That your word has, has gone through the centuries. It's the most stablest thing we can look at and we can read. Thank you that we have it on tablets, on our phones, on the screen. Your word is there. And we thank you. Father, I pray, teach us, Holy Spirit, 
from this little piece of scripture today, Lord. Amen. We often think grace is to do with mercy, acceptance, covering of sin, which it is. But here Paul is talking about identity. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What an amazing statement. Many of us can struggle with identity. Who am I? What am I really here for? How do I fit in the church? Sorry, I've got to do this one-handed. When you look back in the Old Testament, Moses, looking after a few sheep on his own, and a bush begins to burn. And that bush attracted him, and he looked at it, and he thought, that's not burning out, that's just continuing to burn. And he goes to this bush, and out of the bush comes a voice. I mean, what an amazing thing. And, and this, during this kind of breathtaking experience, this voice commissions him to go down to Egypt and bring out the Israelite nation. And we believe, as the records would say, about two million people. God gives him this extraordinary um, reply to say, I am who I am. But when Moses asks the bush, well, who is sending me? And God says, I am is sending you. But who should I tell the people who you are? Tell the people I am has sent you. And here in this letter, Paul is echoing some of the I amness. By the grace of God, I am what I am. This is an amazing thing to say. I mean, when, when people ask, who are you? We tend to think about our past. Paul may have done the very same thing. This, in the past, Paul, a few years earlier, before he became a Christian, he would have had quite a long answer. Well, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And actually, that was the most elite tribe. Actually, I was the most elite in the elite tribe. I sat under the best teachers. I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. That's who I am. I was zealous. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm absolutely lined up with God's purpose. That's who I am. The product of my birth, the product of my education, that's who I am. It's easy to think like that today. But who are you? Well, my father did this. My father did that. I went to this college. I went to that college. Oh, that was my university. Well, I know I traveled overseas when I was young. My parents took me to Hong Kong and I studied over there. We can think about the past and it, our, some of our pasts can be very interesting of our, where, where we brought. Oh, I went to Canada for two years. I went to Mexico for two years. We can think about these things. When people say, who are we? We can be very impressive. Another Old Testament character, Gideon, on the other hand, when God began to call him, Gideon said, me? Oof. Why are you calling me, Lord? I'm from the least of the tribes. I am the least. I am the most unimpressive. We are nobodies. Actually, we're a nobody people. That's what Gideon could have said. No background, nothing to claim. I am the least in my father's house. That's his identity. 
what are you talking to me for, Lord? I'm the least. But the amazing thing is whether we would say, I'm pretty smart. I'm, well, I'm pretty entrepreneurial, really. I can do what I like. I've got good skills. Or we might say, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing. I have no skills. Grace takes us out of these categories and gives us a completely different identity. In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul doesn't make any reference to his background. It's irrelevant. Now he has a new identity. Grace gives us a new identity, a new person, somebody that we weren't before. And it's important to understand that when we become or when we became Christian, grace gets hold of us. Not only forgiveness washes us clean, yeah, we know that, but it's more than that. Grace has done something completely new. Paul says in verse 9, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Well, why does he say that? Well, remember, Paul persecuted the church of God. And the most famous story of the persecution that Paul did, the Bible shows us, is Stephen. Stephen, the most impressive young man of his day. If you were supporting a young man, this is the man to watch and to follow, Stephen. Outstanding young man. And Paul was responsible for his stoning. It says the witnesses laid down their garments at Paul's feet. And that would have meant that Paul was the man in charge and the man held the responsibility. Paul would have seen the great rocks hitting Stephen. And in Acts 7, as he is dying, Stephen's face, it says, shone like an angel. And Stephen said, do not hold this sin against him. And as he says that, he sees the heavens open and Stephen fell asleep. And it was something about this angelic face that Paul saw at this dreadful event that stayed with Paul for years. He couldn't get rid of this angelic face, praying a wonderful prayer to his father. And Paul is watching, thinking, what? On one side, you could say to Paul, well, who are you? And he could say, well, I'm pretty special. I've got this incredible background. On the other hand, you could say, who are you, Paul? And he's thinking, what did I do there? I remember Stephen's face. What did I, what did I do there? Sometimes we carry things in our heart that we think, can I really be forgiven? Sometimes we've done things and we think, that was a terrible thing to have done. God will forgive, but will he forgive this? I've wrecked my life. I've walked away from him, walked away from her. I've really failed. I never got a chance to say sorry. And we can carry things. Some things we think, well, we know some things are forgivable, but I don't know if that's forgivable. That's the big one. No, maybe that's not the forgivable one. Maybe I've got to keep working hard at being Christian. 
And maybe that way I can get rid of this guilt. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God has given Paul a completely new identity. He's not just a forgiven Hebrew, nor is he just a forgiven murderer. He is somebody completely new. God made something new. And and the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And some of the old scriptures say a new creature. I don't know if some of the NIV, the King James, I think it says the word creature. But anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The planet is wearing out. You've only got to watch TV and watch the news. The the Amazon rainforest, every minute there's a football pitch size, trees disappearing. The planet's wearing out. We know that. Global warming, ozone layer. It's like an old garment. It's wearing out. And it's, it's no surprise to us. Because we know that God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a time where God is going to say, enough. Enough. Enough of this injustice. Enough of this cruelty. Enough of this wickedness. Enough of this greed and selfishness. We are currently living in a season of great mercy. Do you, do you know that? We are living in a season of great mercy. God is being so merciful to us. He's even saying that today, his heart is bursting for us. But there will be a day when he says, enough, enough. He will give us new bodies. That's such good news. That really is good news. What lies ahead is breathtaking. Now, next week, we're doing what the Bible really talks about. And he's going to talk about, Roger's speaking next week on death, what the Bible really teaches about death. And I'm just creeping a little bit into it here. It's going to be breathtaking. Paul is saying, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Even now, even now, you are children of God. We've sung it. We've declared it in our songs today. You are children of God, a new creation. Mm. I don't think so in the morning when I go to my bathroom cabinet and I have my, we nickname them my stay alive pills. This bottle, this bottle, or don't forget that one. And I know many of us have got bathroom cabinets like that. Haven't we? Our little stay alive pills and whatever. But even now, you are a son or a daughter of God. It doesn't appear now what you shall be, but when he appears, you will be like him. It's amazing what God has done. It's all in the past. He's done because he's done it now. You may not feel it, but it's done. Anyone is in Christ is a new creation. Behold. What a wonderful word. Behold. The old is gone, and by the grace of God, we have a new identity. In the Old Testament, there's, there's quite a few great examples. Abram. Abram, the name means exalted father. Can't see many children around you, Abram. You didn't have any. Bit embarrassing, wasn't it? Having the name exalted father, and you don't have a child. And God says to Abram, 
you will no longer be exalted father. You will be father of a multitude. And so much so, your name is going to be called Abraham. Well, by grace, Abraham, it was because of grace, Abraham. Abraham himself wasn't very impressive. Rather the opposite. Told lies about his wife. Risked her safety. Not a very impressive record. But he says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of a multitude. God gives us a new identity. If you're a Christian here today, you already have a new identity. You're no longer your formal self. Do you know that? Do you, do you really appreciate that? Jacob, Roger referred to this the other day, Jacob means cheat. Oh, hello, my name's Cheat. <laughs> Actually, God said to Jacob, you're Israel's prince with God. Gideon, a scared guy in a cave threshing wheat in fear of the Midianites outside, in a cave in a wine press. I mean, you don't, press, you don't thresh wheat where there's no draft going through. Apparently, you have to separate the wheat from the chaff. I don't understand that, but you don't thresh wheat in a cave. And there's Gideon hiding himself in a cave. And God says to him, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. <laughs> Me? There's Gideon hiding away. No, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And in Judges 6, we probably know the story that he took 300 guys against tens of thousands. And Gideon won. A mighty man of, val of valor. And God said to him at the beginning, hiding in this cave, you are a mighty warrior, Gideon. You see, God is going to make him a mighty warrior. So God can call him that whenever he likes. Even when he's in a cave, hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. Because God says, well, I, you're going to be a mighty warrior, Gideon, so I can say that at any time in your life, because I am God. Do you ever think like that? He can say it as soon as he likes. So God calls us and gives us a new identity. In Christ, we are new people, new persons. And we receive that as a gift of grace. He gives us a new identity, and then we live out what he has given us. The Bible says we are his workmanship, created in Christ. He's working on us. We are something he is making. You see, grace is something so much bigger than simply mercy. He is giving us a completely new identity. God wants us to change. That's that great song, Let the Weak Say They, say they Are Strong. You remember that old song? Actually, Hillsong have re-recorded it, and it's wonderful. If you want to have a cry in front of your computer screen, go on to Hillsongs and just pull up the song, Let the Weak Say I'm Strong, and in minutes you'll be crying. Because it's just, you know, <laughs> is that just me? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> back to Corinthians 15 in verse 9 
Paul says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul knows his background, but that's not going to stop him or hold him back because God has chosen him. God doesn't want us to live our lives back in the past. Our old identity, we've left that behind. And we mustn't keep beating ourselves up because of what we did in the past. We don't need to live there anymore because God is giving us a fresh start. Your past is the past. For Paul, apostleship was a gift of God. Paul says, God has given me grace. Paul is not saying, hey, <laughs> hey guys, I'm the apostle around here. I'm the wise cookie. I'm the alpha male. I'm the one that, I know how it's done. And I'm the one that says how it's done, okay? That's who I am. No, no. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't look that way at all. Paul says, no, I am, I am here by the grace of God. I am what I am. God has put me here. It's interesting when you go to interviews, sometimes you're asked to fill in a kind of a character questionnaire. I think they're called Myers-Briggs or something. I don't know. It's one of those. I'm sure some of you have taken job interviews where you've had to tick the boxes and it's sort of like a personality test. It's very difficult to know how to tick those boxes. Do you tick the boxes as you are now? Or to as what God has said you're going to be. Imagine Gideon ticking, ticking that box. Little man hiding in a cave. Mm, he's so nervous he couldn't even hold the pen. Oh, I don't know which box to tick. So I'm, I'm a frightened man in a cave. And God says, no, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You tick a different box and tick hard on it. Well, how do you tick those boxes? It's almost impossible to do. Do I ticket what I, what, I, what I used to be or what I'm going to be? Do I ticket for what I am now or what he says he's going to do? Gideon, what a waste of time, living in fear, hiding himself. No, he's a warrior. Paul, oh, he's a murderer. He's an arrogant Hebrew. No, he's an apostle. Bit of a dilemma, really, isn't it? God chooses and changes all sorts of different people. What we did or we didn't do in the past is irrelevant. Your past doesn't define your future. It's grace. God gives us grace. He also gives us grace, not only for identity, but God gives us grace of gifts. And actually in our prayer meetings, we do pray that God gives more and more gifts to King's Church, Cockermouth. In Ephesians, we read that God gives some grace to be an evangelist, another a teacher, another a prophet. That's how the church is built. It's not the priest and the people, the clergy and the laity. It's, it's not the one guy man, the, the only pastor. No, the Bible says apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, diverse. That's how the church is formed and led. Church is an exciting place. And when, especially when we get different gifts. Becca came this morning and sang a wonderful song. I can't do that. 
Not many of us can do that. Becca can. Somebody might give, bring a gift of a different language. Somebody might have the gift of, of the interpretation. I very seldom get that. But it doesn't matter because the church is made of all, all these gifts. But they don't all have to have the same gift. What a boring place that would be. Be lining up to keep singing songs. I mean, you'd, <laughs> you'd never get home for lunch, would you? <laughs> we have grace for a new, day, a new identity, but also we have grace for gifts. In Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let's use them then. That's not just for the folk who come up to the front and sing and worship and speak. No, it's for all of us. The gifts are for all of us. What's our mission statement? Loving Jesus and making him known. That's what we all do. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of this varied grace. Grace comes everywhere, doesn't it? It gives us a new identity. It gives us gifts. King's Church here is a church that is diverse in gifts and graces of God. And they're all free. Gift of hospitality. Now, Dave and Alex were talking about that last week. Having the gift of hospitality. Gift of administration. I remember in connect group a few years ago we were having a Chinese meal and we, we had the menus, we were in Alison Fielden's house and uh, we were, some wanted this, some wanted that and we were getting in a complete muddle and Alison Dowler said excuse me guys, do you, do you want me to help you out here? <laughs> well within 20 minutes we had exactly the right food in front of us on our plates Alison Dowler has a gift of administration she can just do it. She just got the pen and paper and it just worked. Before we were getting in a terrible muddle. So, so um, some have a gift of faith. Do you have the gift of faith? There's a young girl here, a young mother here. She's not here today. She normally sits over there with her two children. And she's done, done an amazing demonstration of the gift of faith for these tramp these trampers these um going up the hills if you can't walk too well and she's got a business running she's got the funding i don't know how many trampers she's got but amazing and i look at her and i think you have the gift of faith when she first shared the idea to, to the elders i thought wow that's a big one I didn't have the gift of faith for that. I admit that, but she did. My wife, when she went down to Mexico years ago to start an orphanage for boys living in the streets, she went to her church leadership down in Brighton and they said, well, Gail, yes, we don't have the gift of faith for it, but you do, so you go and do it. And she did. <laughs> but, but it's true. If somebody's got the gift of faith for a, for a project, well, go ahead and do it. I remember Ray Lowe used to come over and say, well, Gail, how are you getting on? And he'd, she'd say, well, we've got this problem, we've got that problem. He said, well, Gail, it's your, it's your gift, it's your faith. I'll support you in it, but it's yours. 
And that's how, that's how gift of faith works. For Julia, we've supported her in it, but it's her gift of faith which has carried this through and keeps on carrying it through. The gift of giving. The gift of generosity. You may have that gift. You just give. Just keep on giving. The gift of inspiring faith in others. That's a good gift to have, isn't it? Don't you want friends like that that can inspire faith in you? Not just tell you what to do or say, well, if I was you, I'd do it. No, I want to inspire faith in you. What is God telling you here? What is God saying in this? He's saying this, okay, let's, let's both of us have faith in this. That's a gift. There are many gifts. But then in verse 10 of this scripture we're looking at, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, his grace to me was not in vain. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean, man? Paul writes, but his grace to me was not in vain. It means that it is possible to frustrate the grace of God. It's not automatic. The Bible is looking for a heart response. In the parable of the sower, there was nothing wrong with the seed. It was the ground that varied. God looks to the heart. Do you remember the story of the sower just throwing the seed? Some fell on good ground, some fell on stone. The seed was fine. Nothing wrong with the seed at all. It was the heart. It was the ground. So what can make grace in vain to us? Well, the first one is unbelief. Some of the great servants in the Bible had unbelief. Moses, when God says, I'm choosing you, I'm sending you, he said, but what if they don't believe? What if? I mean, that's not an answer you give God. When God is calling you, you don't say, oh, thank you, Lord, but what if? You don't say that. Moses did. What if? Gideon. Gideon, I am sending you. Who, me? You're sending me? Well, if you're sending me, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. No, no, Gideon, I am sending you. There's no who, me. I remember a few years, quite a few years ago now, I left England to go to Mexico to work for the church there and that's where I met my wife Gail because she had gone to start a children's orphanage, the children's home and I didn't know Gail then but I, I just felt God say to me go to Mexico. So I packed up all the furniture and rented out the house, lent my car to my brother, that was a bit of a mistake but anyway, I lent, <laughs> I lent my brother my car and off I went and before getting on the plane Roger said to me, Chris, just a few little, you know how you can get serious and start nodding and looking kind of very serious. He said, um, Chris, you know you can always come back. You can always come back and there'll be no shame. You just, I mean, I was working for the church at the time, so he said, I don't know if your job will still be here, but you can come back. It'll be all right to come back. And you know, that helped me stay there. Because the going did get rough. You're an alien in a country that... You, I did GCSE Spanish before going. Well, when I got there, I couldn't understand a word they were talking about. It was a different Spanish altogether. I had no... I, and you do feel pretty homesick. Very homesick, actually. 
And, and I thought, but I can just get a taxi, go down to the airport and go home. But because Roger said to me, you can come back, I thought, no, I can, I'm going to stand this, stick this one out and stay there. And I did. And that gave me the freedom to stay there. I don't know if you knew, realize that, Roger, you probably did, I don't know. But another thing that can make grace in vain to us, if you're more impressed by your background of your father's house, as Paul could have had, or influenced by the weakness of your background that Gideon would have had, instead of hearing God say, I am choosing you. See, if you're more impressed by your background or by your weakness, you'll miss it. If God says to you, I am choosing you, I am sending you, it doesn't have to be to the nations, it could be anywhere, neighbor's house. I am sending you, I am choosing you to do this. Who, me? Yes, you. But I'm so weak. No, you're a mighty man of God. The mighty woman of God. But they know who I really am. What difference does that make? But I'm no one. But that doesn't make any difference. But how can I make an impact on our little card here, on our mission card? We've got a a chapter called Impact. How can I make an impact? Because I'm choosing you. Because I'm sending you. It's how you make an impact. It's a battle. It's his a battle, and we have to battle through it. In the autumn, we're going to look, well, we're looking at uh, reforming connect groups or house groups at the moment. Maybe in the autumn, you'll say, well, actually, I can lead a group. I can do that. Yeah, but they know my background. What difference does that make? If God's choosing you, you can do it. See, what impresses you more? The grace of God or who you think you are? What has more impact in your life? The grace of God in choosing you or, well, no, look at my, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm too weak for that. You see, you have to step out. Loving Jesus, making him known. Another, the third thing that just, um, what makes grace in vain to us is legalism. Good old legalism, the temptation to try and please God by doing things that you think add to your acceptance. This was happening in the church in in Galatia. That's why in the the letter to the Galatian church, Paul writes to it, because legalism can creep in. That's why Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's all about the law. The Galatians were saying, yes, but I, I know I've, I, I've become a Christian, but now I, I, I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to do the other. No, it's for freedom. You're free. He has made us righteous as a gift. Righteousness on us is a gift. You don't, earn, you don't work for it. We don't have to do religious things to please him. It's Jesus' death. It was for all and for everything. You don't have to add to it. The Jewish people had rules and regulations, religion. Mustn't do this, mustn't do that. Rules, rules, rules. Circumcised on the 
certain day, mustn't eat that meat, mustn't eat this meat. Jesus brought release to all of that. The Pharisees put burdens on folk, but didn't lift a finger to help them. Jesus helps us. He set us free. But on the flip side of that coin, we have to be careful. Because in the name of freedom, you can become bound. What do you mean I can become bound in the name of freedom? No, the name of freedom, you can be too free. In one, uh, Peter writes in his first letter, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But living as servants of God. Yes, you see, we can do what we like, but we can't do what we like. We have freedom to do whatever we like. We can go down to London. We can go to the areas of London that you can choose to go to. You have freedom to do that. No one will stop you. But we, we can't do what we like. We can't turn grace into a life which lacks legal or moral restraints. Don't go there. In verse 10 of this Corinthians 15, Paul wrote, His grace towards me was not in vain, because I worked harder than all of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Grace, therefore, is not an enemy of hard work. Don't think that, oh, I'm a Christian now, I don't have to do anything. No. Don't, hard work is hard work. Grace doesn't produce laziness. Paul says, yet not I. Well, what do you mean, Paul, yet not I? Who did the work here? Did you do the work, Paul? Paul says, not I. It's not I that's working hard here, but the grace of God that's in me. Well, what does that mean? Now, I've picked this up from a book. Grace is the ongoing provision of God's energy and strength enabling you. Let me explain that. If you are moving in your gifting, singing a prophetic song, it's, it's hard work. It is, you're working, Becca works hard at it, but it's not hard work because it's a gift. If your gift is administration, you work hard at it. And I know Alison went down to devoted head office yesterday and saw that you know she's got a responsible position she will work hard in at devoted but it won't be hard work for her because it's a gift to come to play musicians i mean it'll be very hard i've just bought a piano guys but for me to come and play the keyboard like allison has just played for me that would be <laughs> i don't have the gift it would be not only hard work it would sound dreadful but for allison she has to work hard at it, but it's not work hard. It's not hard work, because it's a gift. Do you get that? If you're, work, if you're moving into gifting, it's, it's, it, you have to work hard, but it's not hard work. When you're doing what God has called you to do, you can find the energy welling up inside you. You ever been to a prayer meeting and you go into the prayer meeting and you think, this is going to be really hard work. I don't really want to go. But you go anyway. And you get there and you think, yes. And something wells up inside you. And you think, yeah. And you think, gosh, that was quick. Do we really need to finish now? You ever had that experience? 
Oh, well, I have. <laughs> I have. Um, when you're moving and you're gifting, you're working hard, but it's not hard work. Grace gives us a new identity. We are a new creation, and by grace, he gives gifts to build the church. God chooses us in our weakness and transforms us into his strength. When we look at this card, this little vision card, there's several on the little counter there. When we look at this card, we read words like impact, community, giving, hope, sharing good news, demonstrating love, having respect, showing dignity, being Christ-centered, honoring one another, we can only do that by the, having the grace of God. Otherwise, it's just works. And this card isn't about works. This card is to bring life in our community. Loving Jesus, making him known. Today, there's a team down at the hub cooking Sunday lunch, crisping up the potatoes, Baking the gravy, no lumps in the gravy. Cooking the beef coming out of the oven. Can you smell it, guys? I can smell it now. It's a lot of work for them, but it's not hard work. It's a gift. They can do it. And they're going to bless a lot of people to go regularly. A lot of people go there and they love it. It's a kind of, oh, the Sunday lunch. but It's a kind of monthly outing for some. We're making an impact. May the grace of God be overflowing on them now. Last Sunday, I can get emotional now. <laughs> Last Sunday, when Alex was speaking, my phone buzzed, and one of the members of the Bridge Cafe that joined us after the second flood, he passed away. And Gail and I went round to see Doris and some of the family members directly after church. And Doris, well, Harold had said to us, he would like us, being the church, to do his funeral. And the funeral is on Tuesday. On Tuesday, everything on this card can be shown. Hospitality, Christ-centered, Worshipping people, I said to Doris, Doris, we will do the funeral tea for you. You don't have to worry about a thing. We will do the funeral tea for you. Now, I know some of you can't help because you're working. Obviously, it's Tuesday. But you can pray. Pray that this is a great opportunity to show a family some of the um, family members, I don't believe, I don't think they're believers, I don't know. But what a great opportunity for us to show grace to this family by making a few sandwiches, making a couple of sponge cakes and whatever, and showing real love to Doris and, and her family. And to honor Harold. I don't, some of you I know have popped into the Bridge Cafe that you know Harold. Harold was... Harold. <laughs> he was, I'm not sure if it was Yorkshire or Lancashire, I guess I ought to get, Lancashire, I guess I ought to get that right really, didn't I? But uh, he said to Gail one day in the cafe, he said, Gail, I've got a complaint to make. So Gail said to him, well, good luck with that then, Harold. 
and carried on walking past. And that's the type of guy he was. He loved humour like that. <laughs> um, to be honest, when I first met Harold, I was a bit nervous of him because he was cloth cap and solid. I thought, mm, who is this guy? But actually, he was a lovely man. Lovely man. And we're doing the funeral, the cremation on Tuesday morning. And he's a Christian man. He came to faith. Wonderful. And it's going to be a real privilege for some of us to be there at his Thanksgiving service and some of us to be at the tea afterwards in the Christchurch rooms. What a privilege to be able to serve our community in this way. That is loving Jesus and making him known. That is, that's the grace of God. And Paul can say, I don't care my background. Gideon can say, I don't care about my background. I am what I am through the grace of God. Amen. Amen.